Listeners, uh, we are heading toward the top of the hour, um, which means that we're heading to a time of questions and answers together with uh, myself and Carsten. Our Bibles are open um, and books are ready to be distributed as you phone in. Uh, We are looking forward to engaging with you. Um, Friends, I I do want to tell you how you can can, uh, get access to the five um, pairs of double tickets which are available um, for uh, for the conference that is going to happen tomorrow let, let me just tell you you know whether you are listening to radio pulpit on 657 a.m. or on radio k pulpit on 729 a.m. Uh, whether you are on facebook whether you're on d's tv right now or open view uh, channel 607 now, whether you're streaming from our website, wherever you're tuning in, this is how you can access uh, one of those five pairs of double tickets. Uh, you can go to Facebook and either drop a comment into Facebook saying that you'd like one of the pairs of, of double tickets. And the first comments that I see, the double tickets will go to. Um, or alternatively, uh, you can send in a WhatsApp uh, to us right now. And uh, the first uh, WhatsApps that come in will get the tickets. The WhatsApp number is 082 2729 um, uh, whoever uh, writes in or comments in uh, those tickets will uh, go out uh, to you and we are looking forward to distributing them um, I, I have no doubt that the, com- the conference tomorrow will be well worth um, attending and you'll get excellent information uh, in terms of attendance um, friends, we, we are coming up for 10 o'clock. Um, we are going to be going to um, both an ad break as well as to a music break. Uh, right now we will be listening to Milani sing at the Red Sea. We are looking forward to seeing you later. Well, South Africa, you are listening to Radio Pulpit 657 AM. Whether you are in Da'ar, Priska, Klebecha, Santon, um or uh, wherever you are in the country, driving down the N1, driving up the N3, heading towards Oliver Tambo, wherever you are in the country right now, you are listening to Radio Pulpit 657 AM and Radio K Pulpit 729 AM with me, Mark Penrith, your host. We are currently now in a period where we're looking at Bible questions and answers. The show will be available on podcast. We will podcast individually both the Freedom of Religion insert as well as uh, we will podcast the um, insert with Open Home Africa. Our lines are open. We are looking forward to answering your questions uh, with answers from God's Word. This morning we have five copies of The Passion of Jesus Christ written by John Piper, uh, which I will encourage you uh, to call in for. DK is standing at the ready to take your questions. I can see the, the lines are already hot. Uh, he will take your details down and customer services will make sure that the books get to you um, as soon as possible we will bring in the first caller now Ingrid has got a question which she posted to us uh, via whatsapp let's listen to her question good morning pastor Mark um, could you please tell me uh, or explain in full Ephesians 6 um, how to put on the full armor of God what it really means 
Thank you very much, Ingrid. Thanks, Ingrid. Uh, And what a great question. Uh, Related to Ephesians chapter 6, the full armor of God. If you are at home and you have your Bible uh, open, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 all the way through to verse 20. I think maybe before we answer it, uh, Mm. Carsten, we should just read God's word. Um, Yep. So the Bible says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm and stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Carsten, it is a very well-known portion of scripture. It's the kind of post portion that uh, uh, is taught in Sunday school over and over again. I can remember it appealing to me so much when I was a kid, like this idea of a helmet and a breastplate and a sword, which was definitely the most interesting to me. In fact, I think uh, after we made our little um, paper swords, we'd all go out and try and stab each other to death after Sunday school when I was a kid. Um, But what does Ephesians chapter 6 actually mean? When you read Ephesians Mm. chapter 6, what are some of the things that come to mind? Firstly, Mark, I think you're quite an, in quite a light youth group. Uh, we we do use plastic swords, um, <laughs> so typically we like to go with that. Uh, Ephesians chapter six, I think, is such a it's an interesting portion. It closes out the section. So one to three is a theological discourse, really amplifies the gospel, how we've been united together as one. Uh, going in, he starts putting in these applications. Chapter four really speaks about separating yourself from sin, mm. coming together. Now it's providing this conclusion almost. Yes. To, to this section and he's really saying okay here's what I want you to be as you face the world mm. uh, as you face everything that's going to go out and I think uh, he's using the images of the day he's using Jesus' typical style of, of preaching yes. um, I think I've seen this passage illustration rich I- illustration rich but I've seen this passage really distorted um, I, I've, sure. I, I had a friend once who went and they actually had like a belt yeah. that they would put on and they had a, a thing that they'd put on and then they'd take it off and it's symbolic I'm putting on the armor yes. uh, I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily what Paul's calling us towards in this passage yes. um, but he's really trying to give us a picture we can see a Roman soldier or at least that's what their common image was uh, maybe we should modernize the version of it okay. um, but, but it's this whole picture of just here are the different elements that a soldier needs to go into war. Yeah. And as we seek, even as he starts off this portion, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against rulers and heavy powers and the schemes of the devil. Yes. Right. And so he's saying, what do you need as you can go into war? Yeah. As you contend for the faith. As, as you, you fight for the faith. For right? the faith. What, what are you going to need uh, in terms of your spiritual weaponry and your spiritual defenses? 
Right, right, exactly, 100%. So he's asking, saying, what do you need? And so he really wants to give his people, like, he has something you can remember. Yes. And so this is why he goes and he points to, to these elements of a soldier. And so uh, we can look at some of these, maybe different elements. It says, take up the whole armor of God. Um, then he says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Mm. Okay, so again, he's not saying a literal belt, but yes. he's saying we need ought to take up the truth. Yeah. Right? Truth with a capital T. With God's capital word. T. 66 books of the Bible, 27 in the new, 39 in the old. Exactly, right? It ought to stand upon that truth. Yes. It's not wavering uh, based on uh, different teachings, different ways of thinking. Yeah. It really is saying, okay, as you go into war fighting these spiritual battles, we stand upon the truth. Um, and even if you go back towards um, Jesus when he set out into the wilderness, what does he do? He stands upon the truth. Yes, yes. Uh, and so we see that first element of just we ought to remind ourselves, we ought to first get to know what the truth is. I think is, is a good reminder. Yeah. Um, and then we ought to stand upon that and continually apply that uh, in our lives daily as we seek to look at this passage. Uh, the next portion he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, again, there's this reminder as we come to uh, this portion of speaking about, okay, where does righteousness come from? Uh, righteousness is righteousness given by God. And so it is this, again, this almost this reminder of my righteousness does not come to my own, but it's about me saying okay God has worked in me and through me and so I ought to again cover protect myself by reminding myself that it is God who's working in and through me yes. uh, as we look towards righteousness uh, coming forward he says shoes readiness for Peter feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and so what do we do so that we are ready to fight the challenge to take up the task uh, we can't go barefooted unless uh, you're an extreme person who's willing to do so um, I'm the sort of person who wears shoes even in my house because I hate having dirty feet I hate it <laughs> right but he says so that we can be prepared we need to put on these shoes of readiness which is the gospel and so we ought to I, I'm reminded even as um, Paul writes to Timothy he says be ready to preach in season and out of season yes um, so we ought to have this always this readiness of the gospel on our lips on our minds on our hearts it's what makes us ready to to run out into battle uh, get this picture of a soldier running towards and if he's got no shoes he's going to stumble and fall and hurt himself before he even reaches the battle and so at the same time we ought to have that same application and view towards the gospel it is that essential element that allows us to stand in the day of trial Yeah, as we look and remind ourselves uh, towards that um, shield of faith constantly believing in uh, what, what does the devil like to do he deceives yeah. and so what ought we to do come back to that truth that we've read about in the start we ought to believe in that truth place our full weight of trust, trust confidence in that truth Yes. so that when the devil does it says throw his hateful darts uh, when he gives those things he's going to go through and he's going to try and tempt you he's going to try and pull you away tell you lies deceive you tell you all these things what ought you to do to believe in God mm. and believe in what God says in the 66 books as you've said yeah right so we ought to hold great confidence in that uh, and take up the the helmet of salvation again what is that protection is that that we've been saved through Christ um, again putting that on being reminded this is what Christ has done for me uh, as he's saved, he's taking you forward. The sword of the Spirit, again, we don't do this. Uh, we don't fight alone. sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, we fight with the Spirit in, in us, indwelling us, uh, who will protect us from the evil one. But at the same time, what do we use as we fight? That sword that we use is the Word of God. You know, Carsten, I, I, I find it so telling that this is in the 
This is in the the context of a spiritual battle. It starts mm. off in terms of this discussion with the devil. In the middle, you've got put on all of this this the shield and take up the sword of uh, uh, of uh, of the word. Um, but really, where the apostle is getting to is we need to be praying. Mm. Um, our, our spiritual battle is fought on our knees as we come to our God with. Pre- with prayers of petitions and supplication um, making all of these things mm. known to him um, I, I draw a similarity here um, to the book of Jude in the book of mm. Jude in verse 3 and 4 uh, Jude gives the purpose for writing it's to contend for the faith there is the spiritual battle which is which is at, at uh, going going down from verse 5 all the way through to verse 16 he describes the false teachers of his day and then in verse 17 and following he, he tells us what what our battle is to look like how are we to go about contending with the faith and one of the one of the key areas where he tells us that we are to keep in the love of of God the Lord um, he says we're to do this in two ways number one is we're to be grounded in the truth and number two we're to pray at all times we, we're to pray um, and and just this idea of our spiritual contention for the faith um, is a contention which certainly will be done in prayer uh, and I think of my own mother's testimony um, I wasn't saved uh, as a young adult I lived a debaucherous life and my dad often told me um, subsequent to salvation that my mother's pillow would be wet with her tears mm. as she prayed for my soul and so Ingrid great question thank you mm. so much for asking it we certainly are going to get a copy of the passion of Jesus Christ to you a book by John Piper and uh, I will get your details um, off uh, whatsapp in terms of how you sent it in thank you so much for the question we're now going to switch uh, to John uh, John is on the line and he has a question as well Yes, good morning, Pastor Mark, and everyone in the studio. How's it going? Hey, John. Really cool to hear your voice, and uh, yeah, things are going really well. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I've got a question, um, and it's, I know it's a kind of question that you could probably spend hours on, but I'd like to maybe... Oh no, John! I, I think you just drove yeah. through. I think you just drove through a tunnel there. <laughs> it cut off for like two seconds. <laughs> if, you, if you wouldn't mind starting the question again. Okay, so um, I, I know this is a quite a. It's a question that can go quite uh, in depth. So I'll try and summarize summarize as best I can. Sure. Um, and it's basically the the question of predestination versus free will. Yes. And the question being, um, understanding scripture, there's there's plenty scriptures um, obviously taking context into consideration that would probably speak towards uh, with that we are predestined uh, as chosen of God versus we have been given a choice to choose salvation and the question is um, are we as, as children of God are we predestined to have always been children of God or is it something that God has laid before us life and death that we he's, he's told us and instructed us to choose life but it's a choice that we respond to but at the end of the day we we are the ones that have chosen either to spend eternity with him or without him 
it's like you must have thought of that question all week long. Like, what is the most trickiest question that we could ask live on air? <laughs> and, and, and give uh, Mark and Carsten as little time as possible to think through it before they answer. John, that's sorry, a, that's a sorry, no, 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 you don't have to apologize. That's a great question. It's a question that comes up all the time. My daughter is uh, uh, in matric uh, this year. She spent like most of last year thinking about predestination and uh, where she lands in terms of predestination or double predestination, which is the next question that comes after you speak a little bit about uh, predestination um we're gonna we're gonna chat about that john uh, i hope that you did give your details to dk uh, so that we can get a copy of the passion of jesus christ by john piper to you um and uh, uh you welcome to 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 stay on the line if you want to ask clarifying questions or follow-up questions or you can listen uh, live on air I think I probably would have follow-on questions, but I think just for the sake of everyone else wanting to ask questions, I'll I'll just listen and maybe continue conversation another time. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to hand over to Carsten now because he was already paging through the book to find something. I see he's in the book of Acts. I'm probably going to end up in Ephesians or in Romans, but Carsten, why don't you take us away? Uh, I think firstly, Mark, the place I wanted to start is just, I think the heart of the question um, this question really is something that, yes, it's a theological answer, but I think what makes it so hard is um, is we look at family members and we think, okay, like, what if God hasn't chosen this person, if, if you're holding towards um, the, the more sort of election view? Mm. But also, what can I give this person to convince them if you hold to the other view? Yes. Right? And, and so I do think it's a, it's a super personal question. It yeah. really is not just a, on a theological level, on a yes. personal level. I can remember I've had long conversations with my parents about this. Yes. Um, just even to the point where it's like um, doubting the nature of God based on salvation. Because you can pray for someone and say, but God, surely I prayed for them. They should be saved. Yes, yes. Um, and so I, that's just the first comment I wanted to make. Um, and so the place I turned to, turn to is just... Um, Coming to the basis of that question, I would have also turned to Ephesians. I'm currently memorizing Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1 is such a, a good place, I think, to start. But uh, Acts chapter 2, so Peter's going and he speaks uh, on the day of Pentecost. And we see, uh, reading from Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised them up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for it to be held by it. Mm. So, so even before we get to the, the question of, of election, I want to just come to this idea of free will versus God's foreordaining. Yes. And so what do we see in this passage? We see in this passage both that God foreordains. We, we read even as we, we look at that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It's a great passage right? brother, to go to. The Bible says it. <laughs> it yeah. does. It does. That's the truth. Right? Definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But at the same time, he says that you crucified and killed him by lawless men. Yes. So, so do you see this? There's almost as we come to 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 this concept of um, free will versus God's foreordaining. There is a dual interaction, is the way I put it. Yeah. Um, is yes, God definitely foreordains, but that does not absolve man of responsibility. Mm. Um, and so that's that's definitely the first place I would start wrestling with that concept right oh, excellent yeah. is we need to understand god is sovereign god has decided god has done certain things but that doesn't absolve you from saying oh but now i can um like god's unfair in in, in judging me or god's unfair in causing something to happen to me yeah. because no you're responsible right you at the same time are given that responsibility in your actions 
you, you know, as you're talking, so many passages of scripture come up and come to mind where, where we see this the, the, this reality that that we are to live our lives to God's praise and glory. We have a certain responsibility which is given to us, but at the same time, there's this reality uh, of God's sovereignty uh, at play as well. Um, I mean, we we just mentioned the book of Jude. I, I happen to be preaching on Jude uh, verse 24 and 25 this coming Sunday. Um, in the book of Jude, at the end, there's that famous passage which says, Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before his glorious throne. In other words, God's going to do it. He's going to keep you. He's going to protect you. He's going to preserve you. But just a few verses before, it said, Keep yourself in the love of God. There's an imperative. You, you, you've got something that you need to do. You need to keep yourself in the love of God by, by focusing on his word and by praying and by waiting expectantly for the return of Jesus Christ. And we see that all over God's word. Mm. I, I think of the book of, uh, of Philippians where it says, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. Um, and yet it's God who works well, within you, uh, who works these things out. And um, the passages that I would go to that speak, you know, most clearest to me uh, regarding uh, election and, and regarding the eternal plans of God would be the whole of chapter one of Ephesians, which is, you know, now that we've read quite mm. a few chapters, maybe a little bit too much to read. But I would reference anybody who's listening into the conversation right now who wants some homework to do to go and read the book of Ephesians, particularly mm-hmm. from verse 3, uh, well, really all the way through oh, to yeah. chapter 2, verse 10, um, is dealing with salvation and dealing with God's sovereignty at play in salvation. Um, but then the classic passage would be Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm trying to see if you've gone to Romans chapter 8, but Romans chapter mm-hmm. 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we just have this most glorious, golden chain um, the, the, this this connection how, how God works out all of these things in verse 30 and maybe just for context the Bible says from verse 26 uh, that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we don't know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself he intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches our hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and we know Know that for those who love God, that's something that we do, um, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is something that God does. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If we get to the end of the story, glorification, um, and we start working back, we discover that it is God who glorifies. It is God who justifies those who he glorifies. It is God who calls those who he justifies that he glorifies. It is God who predestined those whom he calls, those whom he justifies, those whom he will ultimately glorify. Mm. The, the bottom line is God is involved at every mm. single stage of our our salvation and every stage of our sanctification and every stage of our ultimate glorification he's involved in the beginning he's involved in the middle he'll be involved in the end and praise the Lord that he is because friends 
if I could stumble, I would stumble. Um, if I could scuffle my salvation, I would scuffle my salvation. Mm-hmm. But it is God who is able. It is Him who is sovereign. It is Him who ultimately glorifies Himself in and through salvation because salvation is of the Lord, said Jonah in the belly of a big fish. Yeah, I think that's exactly like you're hitting exactly on the mark. And I want to comment just, just on that point. It's just like, what have we done here? Is is um, I listen to a podcast and they like to say we turn pages, um, but but we've turned pages, right? We open the Bible and we say, what does the Bible say about this question? I think that that's what makes it so confusing. Is more often we start with the point and saying, what do I feel about this, and the way it should be, and then I look at the Bible, and we also want to come always want to come and say, what does the Bible first say about this, and I should then let my opinions and my thoughts be changed to conform with that, um, and, and so I think that's that's where we need to land. We need to land and say, what does the Bible say? I think you've given us a good summary of that, but uh, even just to sort of add to to what the question was, is do we then choose to believe? Uh, Romans 10, 9 says, everyone who confesses their lips and believes in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. Yep. So there's still still an action we're called towards, right? You still have to believe. Paul says, times of ignorance have passed. It is now commanded that all men everywhere believe upon Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself, the kingdom is at hand, Mm. repent and believe. Yes. Right? There is a call to action. And so there is no that, that's I think why I started in Acts is we can't say oh I'm, I'm not complicit yes right we have to say I have to believe yes and yet even in the book of Acts as we like run around we get we get these uh, the, the, these these realities of men and women placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ professing with their mouth believing with their mm. heart over and over again a- and yet we also see that it is God at the end of chapter 2 uh, of the book of Acts who added daily to their mm. number those who are being saved uh, we see in the story of Lydia uh, that it is God who opened her heart and those mm. who were appointed on that day to eternal life uh, and we see this reality of the sovereignty of God threaded the whole way through the scripture mm. as men and women respond to him uh, in belief John what a marvelous question mm. we're going to go to a second que- uh, another question now by Gogo Hannah Gogo we have put aside a copy of the passion of Christ for you thank you your question comes in to us via uh, whatsapp it is also a voice note question we will listen to it now Good morning, Pastor Mark. Um, I need to know, we are presently studying Job. I I want to know, to understand what it means in Job 2, verse verse 3. At the end, where it says, although you incited me against him to reign him without, without cause, what it really means Satan was saying to, to God what does that mean you in, you incited me you influenced me against him to reign him without cause then uh, verse 4 Satan answered the Lord and said skin for skin what does that mean thank you it's Gokohan <laughs> thank you Thanks, Gugu Hannah, for the question. And uh, uh, Gugu Hannah, long-time listener, always good to have you with us uh, and always good to hear your questions. I- I'm going to read 
um, Job chapter 2 beginning at verse 1 just so that we have a bit of context uh, and let me also just kind of give some outline of what's happening in the book of Job the book of Job is in all likelihood the very first book of the Bible that was written um, in terms of its writing it in all likelihood um, predates uh, even the giving of the law uh, we see aspects of the book of Job seem to proceed uh, chronologically uh, the writings of Moses um, in the book of Job it's a tragic tale of of loss I mean it really is and I guess it kind of plays into this whole discussion regarding God's sovereignty over all things um, and that might become a running conversation uh, this morning uh, but the book of Job is a tragic tale of loss um, we, we read in chapter 1 of the book of Job uh, of firstly of Job's character um, he's exemplary he's noble he's outstanding in his day um, and he has been blessed abundantly he is a wealthy man uh, he just seems to have so much together um, and then we read of something that Job is never made aware of um, Satan mm-hmm. uh, comes to God um, makes uh, uh, gives gives this idea of testing God, and God gives Satan um, allowance to test God. He gives Satan parameters um, where Satan can't go beyond in terms of his testing of God, but God ultimately is is sovereign even over Satan in Satan testing Job, and so. Satan takes Job's property, uh, Satan takes Job's children. Um, uh, at the end of the passage, Job has lost almost everything that is dear to him. The only thing that is left is a wife who's a little bit like a nagging, uh, like a like mm-hmm. a dripping tap. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but in reality, I, I mean, everything has been taken away from Job. A- and yet, in verse 20 of chapter 1 Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped and said those words that we know so well naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and the chapter is closed off by saying that in all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong <clears throat> now I read chapter 1 because it gives us some context and some runway into chapter 2. Chapter 2 reads as follows. Again there was a day when the sons of God, and this is very clearly in the context talking of angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. This is God. This is in the the heavenly realms uh, where God is seated. Uh, And Satan uh, also came along to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, and this is where your question comes from, Gogo Hannah, and the Lord said to Satan, um, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason and and so just in terms of the context the clearest understanding of verse 3 and the second half of verse 3 is that it is referencing the dialogue which happened in chapter 1 of the book of Job where Satan came to God and asked for permission to go and test God and God allowed Satan to go and test God a very interesting year that um, 
that Satan says that he's been, you know, down on earth and he's been walking up and down and going to and fro. Um, it's God that reintroduces the topic of Job uh, into the dialogue, into the conversation. Satan doesn't bring it up. Mm. Um, it's God who suggests um, Job to Satan. Verse 4, which is where your second question came from, reads as follows. Then Satan asked the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Um, and so uh, your question regarding skin for skin and what that really means uh, is Satan is changing the parameters. Satan is suggesting to God that, God, you allowed me to test Job by taking away his great wealth. You allowed me to test Job by taking away the people around me. But now give me permission to attack Job's not just his wealth, not just his prosperity, but give me permission to attack Job's very health and we will see Job change because because I, I, I think this man isn't as upright and as noble uh, as what you think he is, God. Um, and uh, Gogo Hannah, I think that that would be the easiest way uh, to explain uh, what's going on in that text by reading what comes before it and then I, I would give you extra homework by just continuing to read through chapter mm. 2 and into chapter 3 and see how Satan then goes about attacking Job it's a horrible affair it involves boils it, it involves extreme discomfort and it involves Job actually being affected on an emotional level uh, as he mourns and as he struggles uh, through these things anything to add Carsten? Uh, I just think it was interesting as I was reading this I was trying to just think it through and so I looked up that that word um, incited um, just this idea of of instigated is is God you've caused me to do this Um, and I just thought how often do we do the same thing Um, we can say no no but God you put me in this situation and so I have no choice but to do this um, and even just taking it to a practical application in terms of our lives is we can be so like Satan is. Yes. Satan's like, like you gave me no choice but to punish Job. Yes. Um, and I think it's just, there's, there's a bit of a takeaway for me from that to just think again, like, we, we're still responsible. We're still responsible. <laughs> Satan's still responsible. He still does the things. Um, just just a slight thought as I was uh, through it. A lot of crossover today regarding the responsibility of man um, and the sovereignty of God um, mm. and how these things work out in the pages of God's word. And then, I guess, reflection in terms of how they work out in, in our life stories um, mm. as we reflect on our responsibility and yet at the same time on a God who is sovereign over all things. Mm. I mean, th- this is why we pray, right? Because mm. God actually is able, because God actually is in control, because God actually can affect um, uh, circumstances Uh, we cry out to him uh, in prayer Uh, Jacqueline thanks for your comments that came through uh, on whatsapp regarding the full armor of God Uh, Mapofu uh, good day pastors Uh, that's you and me, Carsten. Um, good day, pastors, and, and thank you so much, Mpofo. Uh, uh, it's good to chat to you. How can we best or how can we refuse enslavement as Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says? How can we refuse enslavement as Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 talks about? Um, and thank you for the powerful topic. And uh, brother, uh, I do and will contact you via Uh, WhatsApp in order to get a book to you. Thank you for the question. Uh, We will engage on it live on air. Uh, Mapofu, you are welcome.
them actually just uh, on WhatsApp to send in your uh, your contact details so that we can get this to you. But I will pass this on to client services. So Colossians chapter two. Do you want to? Do I read it? Yeah. Can you read it? Thank cool. you. Colossians two verse eight uh, says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition." According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll read 6 and 7 as well. Um, Therefore, as you have received Christ, the, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he goes there, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and emptiness. Mm. Uh, and he goes on in uh, verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, speaking of Jesus Christ, and you've been fulfilled in him, um, or you've been filled in him, who is the head of all uh, rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by a circumcision um uh, of Christ and it talks about having been buried with him in baptism that we've been raised uh, through faith in the powerful working of God <laughs> sovereignty of God in 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 salvation uh, who raised him from the dead and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiveness having forgiven us all of our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands uh, this he has set aside nature it to the cross he's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him and the question is related particularly to verse 8 where it says see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ to be honest with you uh, in order to understand this particular passage you have to read the whole chapter you you really have to read the whole chapter in actual fact it would be wise to start at the beginning of chapter one uh, and read of the preeminence of Christ at the end of chapter one um, to get the context of what's going on in the church of Colossae uh, it, it seems very apparent as you go through chapter two and you'll see it again at the end of chapter two that there is some false teaching that has come into the church there's some deceitful teaching <laughs> Cast us back to Jude again. Uh, this idea of false teachers being in our midst, being in in the middle of local churches, and they are sowing seeds. Uh, very, very clever false teaching seeds uh, amongst God's people. Um, in Colossae, those seeds include aestheticism, which means they're, they're telling you how you must dress and how you must act and w- which days you can celebrate and which days you can't, you know, maybe, you know, celebrate the Lord's Day on a Sunday or celebrate the Lord's Day on the Saturday and and these things affect your eternal salvation whatever it might be uh, they're telling you um, uh, they, 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 they saying that they're having dreams and visions and extra revelatory experiences uh, that give them hidden insights almost kind of like a, a mix between the ancient false teaching of Gnosticism uh, hidden meanings uh, that aren't revealed in the in the word of God the 66 books of the Bible um, the, the the bottom line is this false teaching is coming into uh, the midst of the church and in that context we have verse 8 see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy now 
I must be honest, in Porfu, we see this particular set of false teaching in pulpits all over our country every single Sunday. Um, the philosophies of man preached instead of the word of God. Um, human philosophies, human ideas, rather than God's inerrant and sufficient worth, uh, word proclaimed from pulpits. Um, anti-deceit which is really what philosophy is uh, according to human traditions the, the 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 human traditions of man um whether it be tea bags or jumping or any kind of kind of uniform whatever it might be just just ridiculous traditions that are proclaimed as being as substitutes uh, for truth with a capital T um human traditions rather than God's word uh, and then elemental spiritual uh, spirits of this world uh, and an appeal to a spirituality which looks like it might be divine because it's spiritual in nature but in actual fact is giving lordship uh, and giving a uh, focus uh, to satan and to and to his false teachings rather than glory to god the reality is that was happening in paul's day and um, particularly in the city of Colossae, um, and these same things are happening today. And what Paul is saying is, you need to be on guard. You need to be aware. Uh, you need to make sure that no one takes you captive. It's the idea of being kidnapped. Uh, you, you mustn't be kidnapped by this false teaching that is seeped into the church. You need to contend for your faith. You need to keep in the love of God by keeping in God's word and keeping in prayer constantly. Uh, you, you need to be able to identify false teachers and their false teaching so that you can constantly say that Jesus is the way and hold on to the truths uh, of the gospel message. Anything to add there, Carson? Yeah, that's, that's exactly. I think maybe, maybe to add a bit of thoughts towards our modern day culture mm. uh, is uh, the... <laughs> What what is the saying that um, the 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 things that happen um, they go in semi cycles um, and so we see same things repeating over time coming through uh, and so I think even in our current day uh, as we look towards this passage he really emphasizes the nature of the personal work of Christ um, and he says let nothing depart you from that and I think there's uh, it's easy for fads to come and go uh, different ideas to come and go we've seen a lot of that especially in recent times uh, and it's interesting I was chatting with someone the other day about how um, this whole agnostic well not agnostic atheistic movement mm. has actually almost disappeared a bit um, in light of some of these other things because just one thing after the next after the next uh, and even our pulpits as you said it's been distorted a lot uh, the messages that have come through and, and so I think the question we always need to be asking ourselves is is this biblical um, I think when we listen to teachings, preachings, um, it's easy uh, even to, to hold, yes, I listen to, I've got a biblical preaching here, but I like listening to this guy because he sounds nice. Um, and at the same time, we need to always be, be careful on our God, as you say, to say, is this biblical? Is this in line with the truths that have been revealed to us in Scripture? Or is this more in line with what we see in modern culture today? Where I think that's the common argument. It's just uh, the human traditions back in this time was following the laws or following the way that you used to live things and do things in terms of eating sacrifices and terms of a gat. But these days it comes down to different issues such as ethnicity, social economic status. Um, that's the lens, the, the view that we tend to see the teaching through. And Paul says, no, you shouldn't view it in those lenses. You should be careful to guard, uh, I was reading 1 Timothy, now guard the deposit that's entrusted to you. Not looking towards what man would teach, but looking towards what God has kept, sustained, told us 
through his word throughout the ages and we always used to always need to check that no matter how good an idea sounds or uh, a, a thought sounds we need to ask is this the what the word says does it agree with what is being taught mm. is this what the word says does it agree with what's being taught i i, I do fear that too often uh, we go to churches without our bibles in our right hand mm. or if we do take our bibles it's kind of uh, it, it's more like a it's more like a purse it's about the color and it's about you know is it leather bound or not uh, and it's an ornament uh, to give us status or or, or it's just you know the tool that we take on a Sunday morning friends our Bibles are more than a tool they're a sword you know back to Ephesians chapter 6 they're a sword and the intention um, regarding the sword is that we have it near to hand we have it open and that we test what has been said uh, in the front of our churches against what God's word says um, uh, ready to move away from error and ready to accept truth uh, each and every single Sunday as we sit mm-hmm. under the teaching of God's word and and we definitely must reject uh, false teaching, uh, we must reject it mm-hmm. out of hand, there, there mustn't even be a question um, regarding false teaching I, I, you took us to the book of uh, Acts earlier Mm. Uh, i want to take us to acts chapter 17 because it's just such a wonderful passage paul goes to thessalonica uh, to begin with and he he spends some time in thessalonica doesn't end well he kind of gets chased out of the city um in acts chapter 17 uh, verse 1 to 9 Uh, and the 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 people and the city authorities were despised Disturbed and they um, and there's there's just like a whole lot of mess and uh, and Paul is going as quickly as possible getting out of the city. Uh, he arrives in Berea um, together with Silas, and um, and and as he is in Berea, uh, it it says this. Um, he goes into the Jewish synagogue. That's what he did in Thessalonica, exactly the same. But in Berea, the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica they received the word with all eagerness in other words they were very attentive to what Paul said they listened um, they were expository listeners <laughs> they listened to mm. the sermons being preached but listen to this they examined the scriptures daily to see if these these things were so in other words they listened to Paul and then they compared what Paul was saying against God's word and for this they were described as more noble uh, than than those that were in Thessalonica uh, that's mm. my hope my dream for people that are listening in today uh, that you would be Bereans that you would walk to church not just with the Bible in your right hand but you would sit in church with an open Bible examining what is being preached against what God's word actually says to see if these things are so yeah Mark I think it's it's like my encouragement I think maybe to put this out to the listeners today is <laughs> defending against false teaching and, and even this thing is not just uh, like false teaching doesn't just stand out and go in red lights and here's the false teaching in your church or here's the false teaching that's being taught today yes no it sounds good F- false teachers it, don't walk around right. with a with a t-shirt that says false teacher on on the front and i love that verse that says see to it that no one takes you captive it is not a you cannot see to it passively there is no such thing as sitting back and going, you know what, based on just my knowledge, I will identify this. And my encouragement uh, to, to listeners is, this is not just the job of the pastor. This is not just the job of the preacher. There are resources out there. There are tools out there to help you better read and understand your Bibles. If, if that's something you struggle with and something that you want to get to know better, there are plenty, plenty tools out there. Um, 
that, that are really, really helpful. Um, if you look at any thing to study the scripture there are so many i think mark will have some offhand as to how you can better study the scriptures how you can better read it in as your pastor is preaching the text as you're listening to someone go through it because we really need to ask that question of ourselves is is what this person's saying in line with the text actually says and so we my, my encouragement to you is it's not passive it's active it's something you have to do you have to sit you have to be willing to ask the questions is this really true Mm. Is this really true? And and that's what it really comes down to is truth. This mm. is this is a battle for your mind, and it's a battle for truth. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And friends, that's what we need to get back to. Look, th- there are a number of questions that are left, but I only have one book that is left. And so the last book goes to Julie Campbell, uh, who says, "Good morning, Mark and Carsten." And the question is, please expand. On John 10 verse 10 John 10 verse 10 so uh, turning in my Bible to John 10 verse 10 it is in a section of Scripture which is truly beautiful mm. um, Jesus Christ uh, talking about him being the Good Shepherd obviously uh, even in terms of that language just for biblical context our, our minds go back to the shepherding language in Ezekiel and the shepherding language in Psalm 23 where David says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want but hear what Jesus says in John chapter 10 and I'm going to begin at verse 1 it says truly truly I say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way that man is a thief and a robber but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I come that they might have life and have it abundantly and then he goes on to say I am the good shepherd Mm. the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he who is a hired man and not a shepherd who does not uh, own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters Mm. them and he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep but I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father Um, as you As you go on through the chapter, uh, right towards the end of the section, it says again, there was a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them says he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, uh, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of 
the blind. Carsten, as you read John chapter 10 verse 10 in particular where it says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. What are some of the considerations that come to mind as you're reading that passage? I think firstly I just love this passage. Um, this whole this whole nature of, of, of Christ and what he comes to do. Um, he comes to protect, he comes to keep, he comes to call those who are his own. Um, and he will accomplish that. It's essentially what he's saying here in, in this entirety of this passage of John 10. Uh, but even here he's putting a contrast. Um, he says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And uh, what I would do maybe in a different way is um, maybe give an illustration. Um, is if a child wants ice cream all day, right? The thief is the one that wants to give them ice cream all day, right? Hmm. Jesus Christ says, I have come that you might have life and life in abundantly. I love this picture of being a shepherd because what does a good shepherd do? Right, a good shepherd keeps his flock. He tends his flock. He looks after it. He puts it in a in a crawl by night. If we go from South African context, right? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He goes and he, they would go out, and if a sheep got lost, he would break its leg and bring it back, which is an interesting thing when we think about life in abundance. Right? Is what does it look like to have life in abundance? Is to have a shepherd over you who will protect you, who will keep you in those lines. Yes. yes. Who will guard you. Yes. Right? That's what it means to have a life abundantly contrasted to what the thief does, which is the thief just takes away, pulls away. Yeah. Um, and so, even more, we're looking in this passage, even towards the context of salvation. Yes. Uh, as we read uh, up and towards, and he says, The sheep hear my voice. Yes. Um, the sheep know the shepherd. And there is great confidence to be taken from this that number one, Christ will call and bring those who are his sheep to him. And number two, that is what it means to be live the good life. Yeah. Is to be in that fold under him. Brother, we're running out of time. I, I want to add one observation, which I mm. think is important uh, to answering this question. And thank you so much for it, Julie. Uh, uh, Julie, really appreciate it. And that's in order to understand who the thief is, one does need to understand the context of what's going on on the day. Uh, and in order to understand that context, you need to go and read uh, John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is the healing of a man who is, if I remember correctly, born blind from birth. Um, and and after that healing, the man is brought before the Pharisees. And in the end, he's actually put out of the synagogue. Um, now, Jesus, in verse 35, heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe uh, uh, in the Son of Man? Uh, and then he reveals himself as being the Christ. This this man worships Jesus Christ. Um, and then he starts to address um, the Pharisees of his day the Pharisees who have put this man out of the synagogue um, for being the recipient of this great miracle and so when we get to chapter 10 verse 10 um, and Jesus says uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I'm fairly certain that the thief whilst it's singular there um, and given the context of chapter 10 as a whole uh, is speaking of these Pharisees collectively um, and speaking of, of them robbing um, the people around them of the true message of the gospel salvation and in contrast Jesus Christ is presented as the good shepherd uh, the shepherd who takes care of the sheep the shepherd who ultimately um, uh, uh, um, brings them um, by safe passage um, to God um, and he's saying that uh, th that in him uh, is the gospel in him is salvation in these false teachers uh, there is nothing but death and destruction and that they are robbing people of the gospel it's 
true to our day as well, mm. um, Julie, as we think of false teachers all over the world, um, all over South Africa in pulpits, even uh, on Sunday, um, presenting messages and presenting gospels that will not save. Gospels of health and wealth and prosperity that are devoid uh, of the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In actual fact, that's why the book of John was written, right? Now, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have eternal life. Um, we do thank God for his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I can't believe that we've come to the end of um, of the conversation today. It's been two hours. They have gone by so quickly. It is unbelievable. Um, but in terms of closing out each week our prayers do go out to all the elders and to the deacons who hold the line in local churches as well as to our missionaries who serve in foreign fields uh, each week we pray for and we give much respect to first responders um, our police our fire fighters our defense force to those who dispense justice to our paramedics to our nation's nurses um, to medical personnel as well as to correctional facility officers you have been listening to table talk with me your host mark together with Carsten, and we're going to be going to news shortly and so until next week friday walk wisely live holy and testify zealously. God bless.